While they're taking their seats, if you would turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. We're going to start there. And while everyone's taking their seat, I'll give you an idea of kind of what we're going to do today. Um, I want to give you uh, a half New Year's Eve sermon, half State of the Church sermon, half little this, little... I realize there's only two halves, but... You, you know what I'm saying here. Break it up into different pieces. And so this uh, this morning may be a little bit different than normal. It may be a, a shotgun blast of information, but uh, I think you're going to be good. I think you can hold on and you can uh, you can take everything and put it together at the end. And then what we're going to do at the end of the sermon is uh, we're going to sing all the verses of the song during the invitation. And I'm going to be asking you for some sort of commitment going into this new year. Uh, this isn't some sort of a new year's resolution or anything like that, but these are, these are real tangible things that I think you can, uh, wrap your mind around. And I think that they are good things that you could commit to for the next year in order for us as a body and for you as an individual to grow spiritually. So let me lead us in prayer and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this church. Lord, I pray that during this next little bit of time during this sermon, Lord, that you would feed your people. I pray that you would uh, open our eyes and open our hearts and open our ears to the things which you would lay on our hearts. And so, God, I pray that we would take advantage of this time of reflection in order to make uh, good, godly commitments going into this next year. I pray that none of this we would do just to uh, go through the motions, Lord, but I pray that all of it would be meaningful. And I pray that we would be better servants of yours as a result. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I've got about five different things that I want you to give some thought to committing to. Some of you need to commit to all five. Some of you may just need to commit to one or two of them. You get to be your own judge and jury on that. But in Sunday school this morning, um, we were talking about, or Alan opened the Sunday school lesson with, if you could be anybody that you wanted to be for one day, who would you pick? So don't give any answers out loud. You might embarrass yourself, but just think about it for a minute. If you could be anybody in the world for a day, who would you want to be? If you're like me, you came up with nothing. I couldn't think of somebody that I wanted to be for a day. And one of the reasons for me that I don't think that I want to be anybody else for a day is because we live in the greatest nation in the world and we have the ability to be anything that we want to be. You have the ability to do anything that you want to do. If there's any students out here, if there's any young people here, and anybody's told you that there's anything in the world that you can't do, they lied to you. The sky is the limit in this country, and you are only held back by your own in, inside inner drive. Anything that you want to do, you can reach hold of. There's no amount of money that you can't get a hold of. There's no amount of success or fame that you can't get a hold of either. Also... There's no problem in this world too big for you to solve because we live in a country where there is endless possibilities for those people who have the drive to succeed, right? And so when I, when, when Alan asked us, is there anybody that you'd want to be for the day? My initial thought was, if I want to be anybody else, I have failed as an individual because I have the ability to make myself whatever I want myself to be. You with me? And that's a fact. We are what we are because of the decisions that we made and the choices that we made. Follow me? And so we have nobody to blame at the end of our lives but us for the way that we carried about, we carried ourselves 
throughout life. So when we stand before Jesus and he says, what did you do with what I gave you? It is completely on us. There's nobody that we can pass the buck to for what we were and how we carried ourselves. Now going into that or or leading from that into this, I love the new year's time because this is a time where Christmas is Christmas is done, sad to say. I mean, the stores have already taken down all their Christmas stuff. I've already bought all of the Christmas lights that Walmart had on sale. And so Christmas, as far as I'm concerned, is is pretty done. You know, we used to have the 12 days of Christmas. Now it's done at Christmas. We don't have any sort of uh, fade away. People that hang Christmas lights, they cut their Christmas lights off after Christmas. I don't. I've been through all that work to put them up. I'm going to burn them at least until New Year's and enjoy them. But anyways, but this... This New Year's time of year is a time where we get to reflect on life and we get to make decisions going into the new year. Now, we can make decisions anytime we want, but this is a special time of year where we make, we try to make year-long commitments. We eat whatever we want from Thanksgiving to December because we say at New Year's, we're going to change things. We're going to be different. And so you've got all of these, these things that some of y'all are nudging each other. I tried not to look, but I can't help but see it. Uh... We make all of these decisions at New Year's, and I think that spiritually speaking, we could do this. We could stand to do the same thing. And so, if you're in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 19, says this. This is the first commitment that I would like you to think about making, and I'll give you a good reason why. Therefore, brethren, this is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so the book of Hebrews points you to this. We have Jesus. We have Jesus, the book of Hebrews tells us, who is better than the angels, he's better than the prophets, he's better than Moses, he's better than all of these other things. We have Jesus. He, we can enter into the throne room of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. So we have all of these great things through Jesus, and he says here, we need to hold fast to the confession of our hope, and we need to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So how do we as a body stimulate one another towards love and good deeds? Well, we can't stimulate each other towards those things unless we're around each other. That's why he says in verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's what Hebrews tells us. We need to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And so what is the first commitment that I would like to see you make in this new year? And that is don't forsake our church gatherings. I want you to be an active member at attending our church gatherings, both Sunday and Wednesday night. 
Both of those times are incredibly important. And the book of Hebrews says we should be meeting all the more as we see the day drawing near. If you've watched the news at all, it cannot be long until Jesus comes back. It just can't. Things are going straight downhill. Have you seen that water slide? At Water Country USA, it starts out flat, it goes about two feet, and then it drops at a 90 degree angle straight towards the bottom. That's what we're on right now. I feel like we're on this free fall, and Jesus has to be at the bottom of it. It cannot be much longer before our Savior comes back because things are getting so bad so quick. And because you see that day approaching, we should be meeting all the more together. You see, the early church, when times were tough, they met daily They went house to house breaking bread. So the church met together daily with each other. We only meet twice a week. We only ask for Sunday school, which is an hour. And most of that isn't actually Sunday school. Most of that is us hanging out fellowshipping, right? So I'm going to cut that time back to about 30 minutes. We only ask for about 30 minutes in Sunday school. And then an hour for preaching. Sometimes we get an hour and 15 minutes, right? So that, that levels out the Sunday school time. See, that's what's going on. I'm just, just making up for Sunday school time. Then we ask for an hour on Wednesday nights. And our Wednesday nights, they do stop. Right at 8 o'clock. And so from 7 to 8, Wednesday night. And so you're talking at the most, we ask for three hours a week. I think that you should pray about making a commitment to being at our church services. Let me, I'm doing this a little bit out of order, but uh, this this is our church covenant and constitution. Um, many of you haven't read this book. Many of you would probably fall asleep after reading a couple pages of this book. But when you joined our church, I had nothing to do with the writing of this. When I came here, I inherited this from you guys. This says, listen to this. This is what you committed to when you joined the church. The first one I like. The first one is really, really good. It says that it shall be the duty of each member to... uh, I'm not going to read all the other things because you can read them. But it says to pray regularly and frequently and to manifest a tender regard for the reputation of the pastor. Did you realize you did that? When you joined this church, you, you took on yourself the responsibility to look out for my reputation or for anybody else's reputation who fills the role as your pastor. You also covenanted to pray for me regularly. There's a couple other things in here too, but those are the, those are the important ones, I think. And so you covenanted. You did it. I didn't twist your arm. I didn't say I'm going to baptize your children until bubbles come up if you don't do this. I, you did this on your own. You also said this. Listen, it shall be the duty of each member of the church to attend its regular services. You used to have a Sunday night service too. So whether you know it or not, you committed to come into three or four services each week. To attend its regular services and meetings appointed by its authority. To cultivate personal holiness and family devotions. To sustain the public worship of the Almighty God and the ordinances of the gospel. To contribute to necessary expenditures of the church for the spread of the gospel to all nations. And for the relief of the poor. To watch over and counsel one another in the spirit of brotherly love. To strive for the growth of the whole body. In Christian knowledge and holiness, and to govern their actions, conversations, and hearts by the precepts of God's word. And so those are things that when you decided to join our church, you said, this is what I'm going to do. What if you joined the Lions Club, which many of you guys are members of, and you never donated to the Lions Club? How long would you last? What if you tried to join the Kashai Country Club, and you never, ever paid your dues? 
You think you'd stay a member very long? Nope, I don't think so. Listen to this one. Any member, this is section number three under duties of members. And I didn't write this. This was written for us. Any member absenting himself or herself from the church one year or more without attending or communicating with the church regarding to his or her spiritual life may be referred to the deacons for a thorough investigation after which and upon they shall be subject to dismissal from the fellowship by vote of the church. And so if, if anybody in the church doesn't come for a year, the deacons can send someone to investigate and then we can remove them from our fellowship. You think that's, that's, that's strong. Would we ever do that? Listen to this. It gets better. Uh, you can blame Jack Powell for this one. He gave me this book. This is a really good book. Have you guys seen this before? This is the history of our church. Breaking covenant. Listen to this. Absenteeism. And this is what our church used to do a hundred years ago. This is this church. This church building was here almost a hundred years ago. All who united with Kesha Baptist Church pledged to attend regularly our church meetings. Attendance upon church conference, especially by the male members, was considered a primary obligation. So people realized that when they joined a church, going to the church when they met was your primary obligation. It says the following action had been taken as early as 1791. Church attendance has been a problem since 1791. Listen to the action they took. Any male member, if any male member shall fail attending one conference, he shall render their reasons to the church. Boy, if you had to stand in front of the church and give a reason for not being there, what is a good reason? I, 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 I hesitate to utter any because you'll think that I'm stalking you or checking your email or listening on your phone conversations. But what is a good reason to miss? Accumulating three successive absences was considered especially serious. A later motion prevailed to the effect that if any members were absent more than twice, more than twice, a committee would be sent to examine their condition and report. So in 1791, the idea was if... I'll just use Bill because he's sitting there. If Bill misses two Sundays in a row, he's got to be dead. So we got to go figure out what's going on with him. He's got uh, measles, mumps, or rubella, and he is strapped to the bed because a church member who joins Keshaw Baptist Church doesn't miss two Sundays in a row. So we better go investigate why they're not here. How about that? It gets It gets good, too. It says... There were various efforts made to reclaim those who neglected church duties and attendance. So they'd send out committees. And then it says the final expedient with regard to the problem of non-attendance was taken in 1899. That's over 100 years ago. When a motion prevailed to abrogate or make inoperative Article 6 for the present at least. And so essentially what they did is in 1899, the church did this. People ain't coming. There's nothing we can do to get them to come. So they threw their hands up in the air and said, there's no way to fix the problem. Our church members just don't want to come. How tragic is that? A hundred year problem. And you may think, we don't have a problem. The Sunday that I preached my trial sermon here, this place was packed. It was Mother's Day and it was come see the new guy and it was packed. The first day I preached my real sermon here, first real sermon, everybody could have fit into this first front section. Why? Time to go to the lake. 
Time to go to the river. Time to go to the beach. All sorts of other things. Listen, church, I want you to make a commitment to being here when we have church. You say, well, I, I got to go on vacation. Listen, I go on vacation too. But do you know what I do when I go on vacation? I get my butt up early and I get to church somewhere. Why? Because I want my kids to know that just because you're gone from Windsor doesn't mean that you're vacant from being a Christian. We went to Panama City Beach on a vacation. And Sunday morning, we woke up and we went to church. Jesse said, do you know anything about this church? I said, nope. She said, why are we going to go? I said, because we're going to church. Now, she was completely supportive. We got there. And do you know what it was? It was the most boring thing I ever sat through in my life. You say, so why did you go to church on your vacation? Because I wanted my kids to know that they don't get a vacation from church. Why? Because going to church is what Christians do. The early church fathers during the Reformation said that there was no salvation outside of the church. What that meant is that a Christian who doesn't go to church isn't really a Christian at all. You don't get Jesus in your backyard. You don't get Jesus in your boat. You don't get Jesus on the golf course. You get him amongst other believers because you're not getting encouragement, godly encouragement from all of those other places. And we as a body need to be meeting all the more as we see the day of our Lord approaching. And so let me give you some reasons why you should be committed to coming to our church. Next week, we're going to launch a new sermon series, and it's going to take us about a year and a half, maybe two years because of holidays. And you're like, oh, goodness, a year and a half, two years. Listen, you are going to come anyways. I guarantee you that if you come for two years, you will grow like you have never grown before. If you will come to two years worth of Sunday meetings, we're going to go through this whole Bible in two years. We're going to take a bird's eye view of it. We're going to take, I call it the Hollywood Homes Tour. We're going to drive up and down some streets, and then there's some streets where I'm going to point, and I'm going to tell you what's over there and who lives over there, and you're going to have to get it on your own. And you are going to grow like crazy if you will be committed to coming on Sunday mornings and being a part of what we're doing. If you miss a Sunday, I hope that you go to church somewhere else or you're dying. Follow me? That's how important it is. I hope that you don't just lay out for just any reason, but I want you to come. And if you miss a Sunday because you're gone somewhere else, maybe, maybe you're at college, maybe you're somewhere else, but you go to church somewhere to show your kids that it's important and to show the people around you it's important. And then we're getting ready to launch. And this is dangerous. Our church is getting ready to start a new website in the upheaval of the government's website. This is a really dangerous time to, uh, to, you know, I'll figure we'll embrace a lot of criticism if it doesn't work. Anyways, we're going to start a new website and all of our sermons are going to be on the website. And if you want to grow spiritually, when you miss a Sunday, I want you to catch up. That's a foreign concept, right? You think, Hey, I missed church. I didn't have to hear that guy for an hour. I want you to catch up because we're going to be covering a wide array of things. And we're going to start in Genesis one. And we're going to be putting down stakes and we're going to be putting down blocks and these blocks are going to build on each other. And so a year into these sermons, if you missed the first few, you're going to be somewhat lost as to the huge picture that we're building. You following me? And so what does that mean for new people or for guests? It means that they're going to get something out of the sermons, but if they really want to get the full effect from all of these sermons, they're going to have to go back and they're going to have to do some hard work. How many of you ever got anything in life without hard work? None of you. If you want to grow spiritually, it is hard work. And 
people need to do the work that it takes to grow. And so there may be a sermon that builds off of last week, and I won't have time to go back and review the whole time. And so we're going to put all of these things systematically on the website so people can go back and they can listen to what they want to listen to, and they can get something out of all of it. And that's going to be the best thing for all of us. Following me? Because our my job as a pastor is to help you grow spiritually. And so the best way that I can help you is by pointing new people to the website so that they can catch back up. It doesn't mean that we're leaving them out or anything. That's just the best way for you to grow. And I think what you'll find is after about a year of doing that, you'll you'll realize that you picked up so much that it was worth it. Following me? One of the difficulties as a pastor, one of the things I had no idea that was going to be as hard as it was, is it's your job to help the flock grow. But how do you help the flock to grow when they're only around every other time? If you had a, if you had a flock of sheep and you were the shepherd and you wanted to fatten these sheep up, now this is getting, this is going to be a bad illustration, so don't read into it too much. But the idea with sheep is that you raise them for meat and wool. You want these sheep to be healthy and so you feed them three times a day. But what if you only had a sheep that showed up for one feeding? How can you make that sheep healthy if he won't show up to eat? And you can't. And so it leads to a little bit of frustration uh, on the part of the shepherd. You following me? Because you want to take everybody together as a whole. But somebody may miss something that you said last week. And they might not understand why you're doing something this way this week. So I want you to make a commitment to coming. And so not only are we going to do this two-year journey together here in the sanctuary... We're going to do a two-year journey in children's church also. We've got these videos, and the whole thing isn't video-driven, but uh, this is called What's in the Bible with Buck Denver. Uh, it looks goofy, and if you cut it on, it looks even goofier at first. If you have grandchildren, and they take a lot of car trips, they need to own this this set of videos. There's 14 videos in all, and it's called What's in the Bible with Buck Denver. And this guy goes through the whole Bible the same way that I'm going to go through it with you. But I'm going to teach you more in depth. And so our kids in children's church are going to be one week behind us out here in big church with what they're learning. And so what this means is that our families will be able to have good conversation between, with their kids about what they're learning in big church and what they're learning in children's church. You following me? It's going to be a way to help our families be more close-knit and also build conversation with each other. Because this Bible study is going to allow you, it's, it's user-friendly, and which means that you'll be able to talk about it. And you'll be excited about it. Just trust me. And so if you're skeptical and you don't think you want to commit to coming for the next year, you come for the first five to eight Sundays through Genesis 1 through 11. And I guarantee you that you'll be hooked on the Bible study by then. There's older pastors, like I said, during the Reformation that wouldn't do counseling with any church member who hadn't been to four consecutive church gatherings. You say, well, that's messed up. What if somebody has a problem? He saw their primary problem is a spiritual problem. And that pastor actually didn't do much counseling because when people came to the church services, the Holy Spirit worked in their life and they got the problem straight without having to talk to anybody else about it. That's how important it is when we meet together as a body of believers. And so those are the things that we're going to do on Sunday mornings. And then Wednesday nights, we're going to pray. You say, well, I don't have time to come pray. You don't have time not to come pray. Prayer is the lifeline of the Christian. And so we're going to pray 
for all sorts of things. We're going to pray for people to be saved. We're going to pray for us to grow spiritually. And we're going to pray for the evil one to stay far away from us. And so that is important. And also, unless you're scratching out time to pray for me during the week, you promised that you would pray for me in the church constitution when you joined. And so you got to do it sometime. You might as well do something you don't like doing with a group of people who also don't want to do it, right? Here we go. So then Wednesday night, we're going to start out, we're going to pray like we have been. And is our prayer on Wednesday nights now where it needs to be? No, but we're getting there. We're working in that direction and praying. And so we're going to pray on Wednesday nights. And then we're going to have a time for questions where when I went through something on Sunday morning and maybe you didn't understand it all the way, or maybe I misspoke, there's going to be time after we pray for you to ask any question that you want. One of my concerns with the church is that it's done just like this. It's formal. If you had something to say, or if you had a question right now, and you raised your hand and asked it, everybody would look at you like you were crazy, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they? If you if you wiggled in your seat the wrong way, people would look at you like you were crazy. If you went to a university, and you didn't understand something, what would you do? You'd ask a question. But that's not what we do in church. In church, we just assume that everybody knows everything. And so nobody's allowed to ask any questions. Wednesday night is going to be geared. So we're going to pray. Then we're going to have time for questions. And at first, none of you will. Because you're so used to the way that we always do church. But I want you to ask some questions on Wednesday nights. And there may only be a few. And then we're going to launch into uh, some sort of teaching or preaching on Wednesday nights to finish out the hour. Now... Let me, let me tell you something just about asking questions in church. Uh, something that you're going to understand with this Bible study that you might not understand now. If I were to ask you to stand up, one of you, and explain to me the difference between Israel and Judah, how many of you would feel comfortable doing that? We got one, we got two, we got three. All right. Only three people in the whole church might understand the difference between Israel and Judah. I made it almost all the way through Bible college and never asked a question about it because I was afraid to. Because I thought that was just one of those things in church that everybody was supposed to know. And so my Sunday school teacher would would talk about Israel one day and he'd talk about Judah the next day. And I wouldn't have any idea what he was talking about. And I was afraid to ask because I thought everybody else around me knew the answer. Now you know what I realize? My Sunday school teacher probably didn't even know the difference between Israel and Judah. He was just faking like the rest of everybody else was. And that's what we do. There's so many simple things that we we act like we understand, but we really don't. And this Bible study is going to clear most of that up. You ever sat in church and everybody was talking about something and you really had no idea what they were talking about, but they all seemed to, so you just kind of rolled with it? Those days are over because it's all going to make sense now. You with me? That's a good thing. So I want you to make a commitment to, uh, to come into church. Next, I want you to commit to 15 minutes a day in a chair of your choice with God. I want you to etch out 15 minutes in your day to spend with God. Some of you need to spend more than 15 minutes a day because you're already doing it. Some of you aren't spending any time with God, and so you may need to start out with five minutes. But as a whole, I'd like to see you spend 15 minutes a day with God. And you say, well, I don't know what to do with God. Well, most other people don't either, so I'm going to give you, a, I'm going to tell you what I'd like for you to do. We're going to be going through the whole Bible, and what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to read this thing and keep up. Okay, I'd like you to keep up with what we're going through in the Bible. So I'm going to start real slow in Genesis, and then we're going to go like a madman through the rest of the scriptures. And you're going to get way, way more out of it if you're reading along and you're taking part in what we're doing. 
I had probably in seminary, my favorite teacher in the whole wide world taught me introduction to the Old Testament. As good as he was, I learned more about the Old Testament from reading it myself than I did from his class. And he was the best teacher I've ever seen in my entire life. And so I'm not that good of a teacher. And so you are going to get twice as much from reading this as you are from me. That's the way things work in scripture. So I want you to spend 15 minutes a day with God. And uh, I've got some scriptures to go to. But I want to, um, I think for the sake of time, I'm going to wait and we'll go through those scriptures another day. So maybe you don't have 15 minutes a day. Maybe you're so busy, you don't have 15 minutes a day to etch out for God. This is what I want you to do. I want you to get the Bible on audio. And I want you to use your car as your chair. I want you to cut off the radio. Most of that's junk anyways. If you listen to Christian radio, they play the same songs over and over and over again. And so you can stand to cut it off for a little while. If you listen to political radio, you could stand to cut it off for a little while also. So cut the radio off, cut everything else off, and get the Bible on audio. I don't want you to be like those people that are trying to read their cell phone and drive. Or I've even seen people reading books in the newspaper and driving recently. Don't be like those people. Take your 15 minutes and listen to the the audio version of the Bible as we're going through it. Okay? Let that be your time with God. So get your quiet time in the car. Don't close your eyes and pray. But spend time with God while you're driving down the road if you don't have any other time. Following me? Give me a little head nod. That one's easy. A lot of you guys may may commute at least 15 minutes somewhere a day. Use that time to clear your mind and get alone with God. The third one's a big one. I want you to commit in the next year to tithing. I want you to make giving to the church a priority in your life. When I do marriage counseling with a new couple, one of the things I tell them in pre-marriage counseling is that you need to commit right now while you're young to tithing to God's church. Our church, we as a group, we just passed a budget that is, uh, I forgot the numbers, but it's an increase from last year and it's, we're, it's, uh, We didn't meet last year's budget, and we increased this year's budget. Now, we have enough money saved up to pay for it, but we believe as a church we're in growing years, and we passed a a generous budget so that we could reach our community and, and grow the way we want to grow as a church. I, as your pastor, am committed to spending the money in the budget to reach the community and to to take the gospel out from this church to the surrounding area. And I would like for you to commit to tithing so that we can cover it. It's a good thing that we're doing with our budget, but we cannot meet the budget unless Christians are tithing. You see, Abraham, before the law, this is not a tithing sermon, but I want to give you a little bit of background. Abraham, before the law, gave a tithe to God. Moses, during the law, gave a tithe to God. And so Old Testament or no Old Testament, people always tithed to God. A tithe is 10%. If you're giving less than 10%, You don't tithe, you tip. And if you go to a nice restaurant, you get scoffed at if you tip less than 15%. And so, can you imagine giving God less than you would give your waiter? That's a tough one to think about. Anyways, I tell these young couples, when you tithe, you are showing that you are dependent upon God for all your resources. When you tithe, you also put yourself in a place where God can bless you immensely. When you, when you have that, when you have all of the money that God gave you and you keep it for yourself and you don't give out to the local church and you don't give to God by means of a tithe, you are being greedy with the things that God gave you 
and stingy. And you may say, well, I don't have money to tithe. Things are too tight for me to tithe at all. Don't be the type of person that trusts God with their eternal security, but doesn't trust him with a couple dollars. You see, there's years when I was in college and married and had a child. I made $13,000 one year. It's depressing to go back and look at your old W-2s. And do you know that I did not go into debt that year? I tithed off of that $13,000. And I had times where people would show up and they would give me money. I never pour mouth to anybody. I never asked for a thing. I had a time where a guy, a pastor of mine, showed up at my front door. And I asked, what are you doing here? <laughs> he said, I'm here because God told me to pay your rent. I said, God told you to pay my rent? He said, yeah. I said, don't worry about it, man. You just, you keep that money. You go on about your business. He said, no, God told me to pay your rent and I'm not leaving your front porch until you tell me how much your rent is. I said, okay, it's $600. He wrote me a check for $600 and he walked away. When you tithe, you open yourself up to receive blessings that God wants to give you. So I think that you should give some thought to praying to tithe. Um, when you're praying about your tithe and when you pray through how much to tithe, start with 10 and then work your way up. If you're at a place where you think I can't afford it, do this. Maybe you can't afford it. I see it that you can't afford not to. So I say do it regardless. If it puts you in the red, you tithe anyways. And just for the record, if you're here and you think that I get a raise just because you tithe more, that's false. Okay, it doesn't matter how much you give that doesn't immediately reflect whatever the church gives me But when it comes to tithing if you say that you can't afford it or you're too much in the red look at the things that you have And do an honest year-end assessment of where you are Can we not afford some of us to tithe because we have two new cars and a boat? We need the newest set of golf clubs always and all of these other things Is it that we can't afford to tithe and give money to god because we're spending it all on ourselves? Or what's the real root of the problem with not being able to tithe? Because most Christians would say that tithing is a good idea and it's a biblical idea. But sometimes there's real reasons why we can't. And it would do us good here at the year end to look at maybe some real reasons why we can't. And then do business with God and try to make things right. The next one, and we're, uh, the next ones go quicker. This is number four. I'd like you to give 2% of your time in another context. 2% of my time. This is on top of church and other things. I want you to pray about taking a week out of the year. Maybe it's not even going to be a whole week. Maybe it'll be five days. Maybe it's a long weekend. And I want you to pray about an area in life where you can spend that in another context. Maybe it means that you go into a neighborhood and you do a backyard Bible club in a neighborhood that you wouldn't normally go to. Maybe it means that our church offers a mission trip and you go on the mission trip and you get yourself out of Windsor. You get yourself maybe out of your uh, your comfort zone and you see how other people are living. And that 2% of time will totally revolutionize the 98% of time that you have left for yourself. Because when you see how others live, when you see how others operate, you understand how blessed you are as an individual and you live differently that other 98% of the time. And so a lot of times people in churches, and I've had this conversations with some of you and you have legitimate concerns. Well, we need to do things here before we go other places and do them. Yes, I agree 100% wholeheartedly. But sometimes you need to get away from here 
Because when you go somewhere else, it changes the way that you think about here. And then you'll begin to treat this more like a mission field when you wouldn't have before. You see, I used to think it's ridiculous to pay for a student to go to pay $1,200 for a student to go to Haiti when the student's really not doing anything on the mission trip that they go on. If you have a student, I would beg, borrow, and steal $1,200 to get your kids to go to Haiti so they can see how the rest of the world lives. Because when people go on mission trips and they get away from where they are now, it changes who they are and what they value. And so I want you to pray about giving 2% of your time somewhere else other than what you normally do. Last but not least, um, I want you to do this. When you get some quiet time, once church is over, once lunch is over, maybe even after the kids go to bed, I want you to look at your spouse. Maybe you don't have a spouse. Maybe you have parents that you may live with. Maybe you have good good friends that uh, that are close to you. And I want you to ask them how you can be a better husband or wife or be a better person in general. And this is one that's going to hurt because the preacher didn't say any of these things. I want you to spend some time and I want you to ask your husband or your wife how you can be a better husband or wife. And the responses may vary. Let me tell you, my wife's not in here, so I can tell you a little bit about her. Hopefully she can't hear all the way that way. I asked my wife, how can I be a better husband? How can I be a better dad? Do you know what she says? My wife loves me. I love her. We'll tell each other absolutely anything. She said, you need to take better care of yourself. I said, what? She said, you need to take better care of yourself. You're not as healthy as you were when we first met. You see, my wife's biggest concern, and I would have never known this, without asking her personally, was dad's cholesterol, dad's weight, other things that are all involved with me. And so the way that I can best spiritually and physically serve my wife to be a better husband is to take better care of me. That's tough to hear. You following me? Do you love your spouse enough to let them say something like that about you? Do you love your spouse enough for them to tell you what they need from you and then you actually give it to them? If you do, this would be a great year to begin doing something like that. You want to take it a step farther? Ask your kids, how can I be a better mom? How can I be a better dad? And then buckle your seatbelt when they give you the answer. They may tell you some things that will blow your mind. But I'll tell you something about kids. They won't lie. They won't lie to you. If they know they're not going to get in trouble for it. So you, you cultivate an atmosphere where you can tell your kids, you can ask your kids how you can be better at something and then make sure they know that you're not going to judge them or they're going to get in trouble for giving you a real answer. And I guarantee you, your family gets better. You might need to take off from work early one day and go play baseball with your son because that's what he likes to do. And that's what he wants to do with you. You may need to carve out time for them. You may need to do other things, but you won't know unless you ask them. So if you care about true personal growth, you ask your husband or your wife, and you ask your kids what you can do to be better. I've got a couple things. Men, if you want to do some self-reflection, uh, I've got some things written down that, uh, that you may want to reflect on. When uh, I told you guys I came from a, and when we're almost done, I promise you, I came from a youth and college background. And when you talk to a group of sixth graders through college students, you have a wide array of people. In this room here, we probably have fifth grade through 8590. 
it's a wide array of people. Some of you guys have been walking with the Lord for 80 years. Some of you guys have been walking with the Lord for 80 days. And so there's a wide spectrum of people. When I talk to a group of students, you know what New Year's resolution some of the students need to make? They need to stop smoking dope. You know what some of them need to do? They need to start sharing the gospel with people. There's some that need to commit to full-time ministry. And there's some that just need to stop drinking. Because they're in a, they're in a, they're in so many different places. And so I don't know where you are today and I can't set one bar for all of you. But some of you men could consider this. Pray about lust. Pray about pornography. Pray about lack of leadership in the home. Pray about fear. Pray about complaining and contributing to a problem instead of being the person to fix it. Pray about how you can take leadership in our church. To propel our church forward. These are all things that we as men can pray about. And some of, some of these things may have you so gripped that over the next year, if you could stop two or three of them, that would be a great year for you. Some of you men are spiritual warriors and you need to step up the notch in areas like leadership and you need to jump in with both feet at our church and lead both the next generation and your peers closer to Christ. Ladies, some things that you could pray about. Dominance in the home. Maybe a lack of submission in the home, gossip, clicks, silly high school games, being judgmental. Now, these are just things that I wrote down and and I'm not pushing any of them on you. But some of them, ladies, if we could just stop some of them over the next year, we would be doing great. Some of you ladies are spiritual warriors also, just like some of our men. And you need to maybe jump in with some of the women's things that our church is doing and come alongside some of the ladies that are leaders in our church and really push our women's ministry forward. Maybe those are some of the things that you need to do. And so whenever you speak to a wide group of people, there's some some people that need to stop doing some things that are just incredibly sinful. And there's some people that need to start doing some things that will propel them forward. You with me? And so I'm not pushing any of these things on any of you. I'm just saying that in a group this big, I want to make sure each of you has some sort of idea that you can do. And last but not least, uh, make this year the year that we stop being spiritual spectators and start being participants. So many times in churches, 80% of the church does none of the work and 20% does it all. If we could turn those tables... And we could have a church where 80% of the church was involved in the activities of the church. And and listen, when you go home for lunch, you may realize that the 20% is here today. And maybe the 80% isn't here. Okay? But this is still good for all of us to hear. If we could ever, uh, even in in widespread America, have a church where 80% of the people are involved and active as opposed to just 20%, you could do amazing things for Christ. And so I don't know where you are today. I don't know what sorts of decisions that you want to make. I don't know um, what sorts of things you want to to stop doing and that you want to start doing. But uh, as Jonathan comes for our invitation, I'm going to pray for us. And then any sort of commitment that you want to make, if you're serious about it, I'd like you to come down front. I'm going to be in the very front up near this pew. And so this whole area will be wide open. I'd like you to come down. You don't have to kneel and pray if you don't want to or if you're not able to. But make your commitment before God here at the altar in front of God. And then if you're really, really serious about it, after you make some sort of commitment, tell somebody what commitment you made that will hold you accountable in the in the weeks to come so that you stay on top of it. Listen, programs like Weight Watchers work because there's accountability involved. 
churches and people grow when there's accountability involved. So tell somebody about the commitment that uh, you want to make. And so what I asked of you was uh, that you that you be at the church services and be a part of what we're doing, that you spend 15 minutes a day in your chair with God, that you tithe 10%, that you give 2% of your time in another context, and then that maybe you go home and you ask your husband, wife, or your kids how you can do better as an individual, whether as a dad, husband, mom, or dad. You with me? You can commit to all of them. You can commit to one of them. Or maybe there's something that we mentioned that you want to commit to that's different. But make that commitment to God and then tell somebody about it and keep it. Amen? Let's make this new new year a, a, a good push forward. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that, um, that that children's message was very fitting, that you make all things new. Lord, thank you that we can... We can always come to you no matter how much we fail and we can cast ourselves on your mercies and we can be made new. Thank you that in you we have forgiveness of sins and thank you that in you we have joy and hope and all sorts of other things that are unexplainable. And so God, let's make 2014 a year where we grow like we've never grown before and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.